Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Contineros Podcast. The podcast is sponsored by Port Pro, the leading operating system for drayage carriers. Schedule a demo today, like right now, at portpro.io. <laughs> and don't forget to mention Contineros for a little, a little hookup, a little discount. All right. In the studio today, I got Walker Banks in the house. What's up? How you doing, brother? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. I like the intro. That's that's well rehearsed. Yeah, after uh, 60, 60 episodes, I better have it down. You're already at 60. This is 61. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I should have got in before Matt then. I could have been number 60. Yeah, that's like a cool number, huh? 60. That is. Yeah. That is. You're going to be in uh, Joe Rogan's world at some point, and he's north yeah, got, of 1,000. Got thousands to go, huh? Yeah, man. You'll get there. Yeah. But 61 is pretty cool. 6 plus 1 is 7, and that's a lucky number. Right? That is a lucky number. Yeah, there it is. So tell, tell me a little about yourself. Yeah, well, again, thanks for having me. Uh, I've been really looking forward to this. Um, you know, as you alluded to in your intro and in our testing, I am, uh, I am Port Pro's VP of Strategy and, and Business Development. And uh, it's been great, you know, working with you and, and the rest of the team uh, for, those, for, your, for your audience, for your listeners. I'm still fairly new at this point. This is only my my second month with the company, uh, but it's uh, it's exciting times. I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity. It's it's uh, it's it's cool to be here. There's a lot of interesting things going on. I, I think uh, I think the company is well positioned to help uh, transform the industry um, from from the owner operator level all the way up to the uh, the trucking company and and up through the the 3PL and then, and on the broker level working on a lot of really cool things that I think are, are going to be quite transformative. What else? <laughs> Maybe let's go back in history a little bit. Uh, sure. How was uh, Walker's childhood? Where, where do you come <laughs> from? What, what's? Yeah, that's good. No, it's a good question. Um, happy to talk about it. So I, I'm, I'm born and raised in Orange County. That's that's where I grew up. Still mm-hmm. live there today. Um, you know, my, my parents were, uh, you know, really hardworking people. My dad was, uh, was, uh, was involved in, in the professional sailing world for, for a really long time uh, and, and took me on, on, you know, offshore racing trips, uh, you know, when I was really young. Um, and I remember my mom and I traveling all over the world to, to go meet him um, in Hawaii and Tahiti and, uh, you know, in, in Europe when he was racing over there. Uh, my, my mom was, uh, you know, she worked in corporate America for 35 years, uh, you know, for, uh, for, for in the entertainment industry for, um, you know, for a, a movie studio uh, on the HR side. But uh, she had a, a really fabulous career and I had really great parents and, um, you know, grew up in Orange County and then uh, moved over to uh, moved across the country to Florida uh, to complete my, my undergraduate program at a small liberal arts college called uh, Eckerd College. Shout out to my Eckerd College friends who are going to listen to this and, and uh, give me a hard time about the podcast, but yeah. uh, really great place to go to school, um, you know, fabulous weather, uh, you know, fabulous people, really cool international relations, global affairs program, which is uh, what I went there to study, because uh, my dream as a, as a kid was to either, uh, you know, join the Navy um, as, a, as a, either a surface warfare officer or um, as, a, as an intelligence officer, unfortunately, I never made it in. Uh, but uh, after that, I wanted to go work for the State Department as a uh, as a foreign service officer. Um, foreign service officer. Yeah. So. Uh, what do they do or what? So they're basically the guys that um, uh, that work under an ambassador for for uh, you know a, a given ally of the United States, and and they conduct the the foreign policy of the United States, right? So they're working with 
uh, colleagues on the other side, let's say in, in Japan or in Europe, uh, and, and talking through and, and discussing how the two countries are going to work together to solve, uh, you know, whatever whatever crisis is is going on. Mm. Uh, basically, foreign relations, right? So if if I'm a foreign service officer for the United States, I'm you know working uh, alongside the foreign service officer from from France, let's say, and and we're working on issues related to commerce, economics, human rights, uh, human trafficking, war, right? It's a pretty big deal going on in, in Europe right now, so. A lot of the the foreign service officers' uh, attention is is directed to that. So, anyways, that was that was my dream. Um, I even uh, you know did a couple of study programs at the United Nations uh, before I got uh, my first job in in supply chain and logistics. I uh, spent a lot of time applying uh, to go work at the State Department at the at the Navy and uh, at the United Nations. Uh, funny way how things work out, right? Because I ended up going back to school. Uh, to get a master's in international relations and global affairs while I was at Geostamp, which is kind of how I ended up at Port Pro. Uh, for the, again, for your, your listeners, your audience who don't know, Geostamp was a, a small software startup that partnered with HTA mm. to measure wait time and, and delays at the marine terminals here in, in L.A. and Long Beach. Yeah. Uh, really amazing family friend uh, uh, of mine, uh, mentor of mine, really, uh, he was who's been in trucking for 35 years. Fabulous man. Uh, he's who ultimately recruited and, and hired me as employee one to work at Geostamp. And I'll never forget this, right? They uh, the customer was was the trucking company, right? They handed me the uh, a list of basically like 10,000 phone numbers and, and emails, mm-hmm. uh, laid it on my my desk in in the cubicle, uh, basically said, hey, you know, we've got the product, right? The software product. Uh, start calling. <laughs> Go find customers. <laughs> Go find customers. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And and I did that for you know six seven months. My 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 goal was, I had my I had my own cell phone and my own computer. The company was making zero. Z- there was zero revenue. You were a sales guy then. There. Uh, basically, yeah, uh-huh. I was. Yeah. That's, How many calls a day? I was targeting about fifty calls a day for the the first six calls? months. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You called me right now. Hello. <laughs> what? What's this? It's Walker Banks uh, calling from Port Pro now. Um, uh, and, and I would pitch the product and I would walk through the, the value add and, um, what, you know. What was the pitch? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I'll give, you the, I'll give you the Port Pro pitch now. All right, all right. But that, it's not going to be as good as Daniel's pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. Yeah. We're just trying to take some pointers right there for those uh, people out there trying to make a sale, you know. Oh, I, hey, you, I. You got that experience. Huh? I give so much credit to salespeople because I, I don't think I'm very good at it. Um, and it was trial by fire. I mean, I remember people picking up the phone being like, who the hell are you? Like, mm-hmm. click, hang up, being like, don't call this effing number again. You know, I'm, I'm done. I, you know, d- just don't. And finally we got, um, this was after a couple months, we got like one potential customer to commit to a demo. After months, a couple took me a couple months. Wow. We had we had yeah. the founders kind of working in the yeah. background, that had uh, you know they had put got some demos in in place, and we were pitching the product. And finally, we landed our first customer, and, and it grew from there. I was yeah. I was a GeoStamp for uh, for six years. We again, I was employee one. We we grew uh, we grew in revenue. We we ultimately brought in a CEO. We brought in a chief product officer. Uh, we we hired another sales guy. Um, at one point, uh, who who is is still over there? He's he's kind of now the 
uh, he kind of runs the show, if you will. Okay. Uh, we, we grew to, at one point, uh, between two products that we were working on, I think it was like 12 developers, a couple QA guys, a, an architect, and, uh, you know, the, the company ultimately uh, was, was fairly successful. A niche product, but a really important service for HTA, for trucking companies, and ultimately the terminals were our customers mm-hmm. as well. I think um, everybody in the, in the industry, at least here in LA Long Beach, realized there needed to be a barometer, if you will, to track uh, and measure uh, the performance of, of terminals in a, in a fair and an equitable way. Um, and, and through that, I, I got a lot of fabulous relationships with uh, you know, industry leaders with HTA and outside of HTA with uh, Wickham Toa and you know unilaterally with the terminals themselves. It was really really fun and a, and kind of a transformative time for me. I kind of learned, if you will, what mm. it takes to kind of build a company from scratch. Mm. And then you know three or four months ago, the you know we successfully exited uh, exited the company and um, you know we had had a, a standing working relationship with 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 Michael, Porpro CEO. Um, oh, bro, <laughs> I know you're watching. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they brought, uh, you know, myself and a, and a couple other individuals over. Uh, and it's just been really, really awesome to just be a part of, of what's going mm-hmm. on here at Port Pro because it's, it's, it's similar uh, mm-hmm. to what we had at, at Geostamp in terms of feel, in terms of the energy, in terms of having hardworking, dedicated, willing individuals. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned on the, the front end of this a couple minutes ago, uh, we're really working on a lot of cool things here at Port Pro that I think are are transformative for the industry that are really going to help uh, you know everybody modernize from you know the individual owner operator through the trucking company and then you know of course up through the the big players in the industry. I think everybody's going to see uh, ultimate value in, in what it is that we're doing here. And I get to work with you, dude. What's up? <laughs> I wish I had your your your, your last name. It's it's so cool. I, w- I want the last name like not like that. Not like I want to marry you. But oh, that's okay. Hey, Banks is so cool. Man, I'm not judging. Walker Banks. It's like the waspiest name ever. Are like, you kidding me? Banks I, well, I is know. like I don't know. That was so random. But I'm just looking at your name right here on my on my notepad. I'm like Walker Banks. It is Banks. Oh, I appreciate it. I'll take it as a compliment. But Louis Banks. It's Lu- Louis you know I got Banks. that money, man. You know. Oh. Lewis Banks. Uh, hey, I'm still. Yeah, hey, I still. Sh- I still wake up at 5 a.m. I haven't made it yet. <laughs> I totally did my own blooper right now. I want your last name, Walker. <laughs> hey, I love it. Leave it in. Hey, yeah, we are gonna leave it in. Leave it in. Um, leave it in. I don't. Man, I appreciate the compliment, but I have like the waspiest name. I think it's dope. On planet it, Earth, man. That's like that, you could be a rapper if you wanted. A rapper? Just keep your name. You know. What would my uh, What would my stage name be? Walker Banks. You just keep the real name. Yeah. Stage name. Anything yeah. is that good? All right. Yeah. I'll think about that. Maybe after Port Pro, that's what I'll I'll move yeah. into. I'll change my career again. I'll go from wanting to be a foreign service officer into a tech startup guy, and then I'll eventually move into rapping. Yeah. Why Who's not? Who's to say I can't? Why not? Why not? I had a question before I go on to the the next part. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah. So with the whole. What made someone think, oh, there's a demand to know wait times and what benefit was there from knowing the turn times? Like, who said, I need this data, like, and why do you need it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the The program really started with, um, you know, he was one of the founders of, of Geostamp. And, um, you know, again, he, he ran 
one of the largest and most successful trucking. He owned one of the largest and most successful trucking companies in, in Southern California, mm-hmm. in California, period. Um, and he successfully exited from that trucking company. Again, fabulous guy, fabulous mentor of mine. There's like three or four people's opinion on planet Earth that I care about. He's one of them. Um, extremely generous as well. But So he, he had a program uh, at, at his trucking company, at Southern Counties, where uh, they were measuring how long it was taking for their, their fleet to get in and out of these, these marine terminals. And when things got really bad, I think this was, if memory serves, this is long before my time uh, in the industry, but I want to say it was maybe 2009, 2010, 2011, uh, you know, maybe 12, 13, somewhere around there. Um, you know, they were, they were showing all of the terminals this information, trying to establish some sort of working relationship to say, hey, you know, we, we need to improve the situation together. We need to find a way to, to work together. And a lot of the terminals, rightly so, basically told him, it's like, hey, you know, you're the only guy with this data. Um, you know, it's hard for, for us to buy into what you're telling me. It's hard for me to uh, feel that it's credible when it's just you. And at the time, um, this gentleman, he was also on the, the board of HTA, and he basically took the his kind of a thesis, if you will, almost like a core beta product, uh, brought it to his group at HTA, and they evolved it from there. Uh, before it was Geostamp, I can't remember the company's name, but there was another company that was running the program, and they were measuring uh, data across a plethora of trucking companies in all the marine terminals. And then we took it at Geostamp one step further. Again, you know, this gentleman who founded the company, one of the, one of the three co-founders, uh, you know, they we, we whacked it up to a thousand, right? So we we started selling a product to trucking companies to help them measure delays of the terminals, mm-hmm. and with that, we we grew the pool of data uh, so that we could provide kind of an industry barometer, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what gets measured gets improved, and if yeah. it if it doesn't get measured, it can't be improved. Do you think the terminals were in denial about their turn times being horrible from t- at times? And that, this made him accountable? That's a really another really good question. That one's actually pretty tough. I'm going to do my best to answer that <laughs> in a politically sensitive way. Okay. Um, I'll start with this. So yeah. I had a lot of really awesome conversations with terminal operators. Um, uh, YTI, Long Beach Container Terminal, the folks at WBCT, uh, TTI, um, uh, and uh, who am I missing off the top of my head? Traypack, you know. Those guys really kind of bought into the program, if you will. Yeah. They understood that if they were a participant, it would be a more meaningful program. And so they, they provided us with a lot of guidance, right? They, they helped us build uh, the fences, if you will, the, the geofences, the digital fences, hence the name Geostamp, helped us build those fences around their facility. They helped us understand the operations of their terminal and where the bottlenecks were, so then we could deploy, uh, you know, some sort of specific measurements to help them improve. Um, I, I knock, knock on wood, you know, who knows what they said behind closed doors about us, but um, I like to think that I had a really awesome standing relationship with them. It was, it was very collaborative, and we we talked about that a lot, right? It was, it was important for us to measure. Uh, delays and, and wait time, if you will, uh, harbor wait time. But we had to make sure that it was we were an honest broker of information, right? We had to be, we had to be honest. We had to be transparent about 
mm-hmm. you know, how the, how the data was captured and what it meant to measure. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had to make sure everybody was involved in the process so that it, it wasn't ever a, a weapon against one party. Yeah. And so we were we were constantly in, in flux. Um, I would think because uh, both ends, if, if both ends become a customer, then it's like, which one do I cater to? How do you find that neutral ground? It was tough. That was that was hard to balance. We <laughs> that was pretty much my job was balancing oh. those relationships. Yeah. And it was it was hard uh, in, in some ways. Now, to answer your question specifically, do I think some of the terminals were in denial? Um, not necessarily. Uh, in denial per se, but again, some of them really, really wanted to be a part of the program and, and helped, right? Help develop the product, help yeah. develop the solution, the thesis around yeah. it. Um, sometimes there were, you know, when when maybe a terminal operating system went down, or um, you know, when the, the whole Hanjin uh, debacle, I can't even so long ago, I can't even remember what year that was, 2015 maybe. Uh, yeah, the surprise and all all those. Yeah. All those uh, cans, who owns them now and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah. That got a little weird because some of the terminals basically were, you know, they took on more capacity than they could. They, they were over capacity, right? Yeah. And so when those kinds of things happened, it, it got, there was a little bit of friction where it's like, hey, you know, it's not really our fault that the wait time is really high. Yeah. Uh, but that was the whole point of our, our thesis there, right? It was, it was, uh, it was to be um, data oriented. It was to lean pretty heavy into statistics. Uh, the the system basically operated on, um, you know, regression analyses and 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 statistics and uh, basically perpetually correcting that to make sure it was fair and that we were an, an arbiter of truth, if you will. I want to go back to the denial part. Let me rephrase that and say perhaps what I meant to say was unaware, right? If you if you're unaware, you have a problem, then you're not gonna want to fix something you don't think you have a problem in. Some some were. Yes, okay. some were, okay. some were, um, and that's because their internal systems only tracked gate to gate, right? And and so they were unaware of what went on, uh, you know, before the truck basically got into their terminal. And that's you know that was part of the value add of, of GeoStamp and why it continues to be a really awesome and successful product and business. Yeah, uh, is because it it is that barometer of truth, and it and it can kind of help evolve. Uh, you know, whether it be a terminal, HTA, or whomever, it kind of evolves that way of thinking. It helps people think about things they may not necessarily have been aware of, you know, prior to implementing the product. So I would say you're pretty much a software guy, right? (laughs) I I like to think of myself as one. Um, You know, GeoStamp was my first real job. Yeah, that's the the Um, credibility right there. You know, employee one at GeoStamp. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So... Software, uh, what do you think uh, the future looks like for the supply chain with software revolving around it? it another really good question. You're, you're, you're on it today. Um, I would say a lot of what I'll spill onto the table here, uh, word vomit, if you will, is going to be from what I hear um, you know, from our, our senior advisor and, and, and Mike and Tony and, and Sarma. Uh, a lot of it is going to be kind of that, but with my own little spin on it. Um, you know, every other industry on, on planet Earth, more or less, has has evolved, has modernized, has adopted technology in, in really meaningful ways. And I think that's been done in part with supply chain and logistics, but hasn't it hasn't completely transformed yet, right? There's still silos of information 
Um, you know, there's still a lot of trucking companies that are 10 to 15, even sometimes 20 trucks that are, you know, running their business on, you know, Google Sheets, right, and, and dispatching through WhatsApp. Uh, integrated solutions uh, are, are there, uh, but they're not prevalent in the industry, right? You don't have solutions kind of talking with one another. That's what we saw at Geostamp and what, you know, before the company was acquired, what we were, uh, what we were, what we started to think about um, uh, when we got involved uh, in some conversations with some government agencies, which, for la- for what it's worth, they do try to see the picture from a you know a four hundred thousand foot view and uh, you know kind of the whole landscape of, of what goes on in the industry. So to answer your question more specifically, uh, the industry does, in my opinion, and that's why this is so appealing to me, right? Working at Port Pro and yeah. being involved in supply chain and logistics. Why it's so appealing to me is because that opportunity is still there to develop solutions collaboratively with with folks in, in the industry uh, to really kind of evolve the next set of products that are going to help people run their business. That's one big draw to the industry for me outside of software uh, and, and startups, which is fun in its own way. But I do think there's a co- more collaborative approach uh, with supply chain and logistics than there are in other industries. Um, like my only other, you know, real world experience is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, is, is doing some study programs at the UN and getting to meet with some ambassadors and some foreign service officers and really learning what they do in their day to day. It's very much like an us versus them mentality. And I get that, right? Like it's, it's the United States versus the world, right? And if you're an ally, you know, we're going to work with you. But if, if you're not, you know, it's, there's some friction in that relationship. When I go to like TPM or I go to IANA or some of these other industry events, or I talk, you know, I talk to drivers, you know, uh, we had a mobile app at one point at Geostamp, so I did get to know some drivers at, mm. at least. Uh, you know, talking with the trucking companies, going to HTA, there's there's kind of like a, a we're in it together uh, mentality. Uh, you know, my good friend, you know, Weston, he's at, he's at Cargomatic. He used to uh, run the show at, at HTA before Matt. Uh, you know, he, he always, and I, I, I've taken this lesson from him and I've internalized it because I think it's important. He always tried to look at the full landscape of the industry and establish these collaborative relationships that really help to take the industry into the next step. Technology is just the piece that, that we're working on at Port Pro, right? And why I like the, the startup world and why I like supply chain and logistics is because it combines those two, uh, you know, those two ways of thinking, right? It's a collaborative approach. We're in it together. But hey, there does need to be an evolution of the tools. Uh, there, there needs to be new tools that come out, uh, new solutions, new SaaS products that, that help the industry move in that direction in a collaborative way. Um, you know, everything from helping out the owner-operator, as I mentioned earlier, to trucking companies and all the way up through to the, you know, the broker, the forwarder, and the 3PL. Like there's, there's ways to work together. There's solutions that can be developed that... Um, you know, will help that evolution and uh, and, and expedite the industry's uh, modernization, if you will. Like I'm using my buzzwords here, and Michael's going to laugh at me, but that's okay. But it, do you feel it's frustrating to see that some tools are already there, and as we're evolving into more tech-based mm-hmm. solutions, is it frustrating to see that not everyone wants to use the tools, even though they're there? What do you think will happen to them in the long run? It can be, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I won't list names, but, um, you know, the, the future is 
a modern technology, uh, but and b it's 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 collaboration. And I think those that uh, you know don't adopt a a modern way of thinking and, and develop modern products while also thinking collaboratively, you know, I do think um, I do think those 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 companies, those products, uh, those businesses may may suffer. I do, yeah. I'm aware that you have a business development experience. Can you tell us more about that? I can, yeah. So as you know, we were talking earlier about you know I, being employee one at GeoStamp, and I was just slamming phones trying to you know trying to make some sales. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't share the pitch, but okay. I know. <laughs> I don't want to give away their secrets. No, yeah. I like those guys over there. Um, anyways, no, I. Again, I, I don't think of myself as a salesperson. I, I have a hard time, you know, asking people for, for favors, really. Um, you know, I, I, I try, uh, I tried and I, I, for the, I, got, I figured it out in some capacity because we grew GeoStamp, but um, sales is tough. Like, again, I got a ton of respect for Daniel. That guy is like master class. Um, but, you know, here at, here at Port Pro and, and what I kind of transitioned to in, in GeoStamp was, um, uh, more business development. So, you know, talking with potential partners, talking with potential, um, uh, you know, c- collaborative, talking with folks about collaborating in the industry, right? Figuring out where we can work together or what products we can develop that will that will develop another business unit for us. And then once that business unit is kind of built, you know, then you you bring on the sales staff that that have real talent in sales, not like a guy like me. Uh, mm. and they, and they go kind of, they go cook with gas, right? So they'll, they'll take the, the new business unit, the new product, the new partnership, whatever it is, the, the developed business, the business development, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go, they'll go sell it. And then on the strategy side, um, you know, that's all still pretty fresh. I've been, you know, shout out Mike again and, and Tony and, uh, you know, our, our senior advisor, Tim, uh, you know, all great people. We've been, working as a group to kind of develop the, the, the corporate strategy, right? So what trade-offs are we going to need to make as a company, if any? Um, it's pretty, it's a pretty well-run shop here, so <laughs> we may not need to make trade-offs. But what products are we going to prioritize and why? What partnerships are we going to prioritize and why? Uh, what business units should we build and why? Uh, where should we spend our money? Um, you know, should we take money? All of those things are are uh, both part of the the short term tactical business decisions we need to make, but also part of the long term, uh, you know, the long term corporate strategy, mm-hmm. which really you know kind of harkens back to uh, um, you know what I what I studied in in the last <laughs> gone back to school three three times. I just finished up my MBA at, at George Washington University and. The focus was on entrepreneurship and, and corporate strategy and really what they teach you and not everything in an MBA course can be, you know, transitioned or uh, uh, deployed into the real world seamlessly. But uh, what they teach you is what they teach you about making, again, going back to this, making trade-offs. So trade-offs, can you elaborate yeah, on trade-offs? So for example, let's say, let's say a business and I'm going to keep it really generic just so we're not giving away any secrets here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but we've got the option to go down path A, mm-hmm. path B or path C. And maybe oh, okay. we have enough, maybe we've got enough resources, whether that be capital, whether that be people, whether mm-hmm. that be talent, whether that be time to go down path A and path B or path B and C, but not all three. So oh, we have okay. to make a decision, right? What trade-off are we making? What are we giving up? 
to go down path A and B. Pick one, then cancels out the other. Exactly. And then want to make the best choice. And then thinking about the long term implications of that, uh, you know, for the future, right? So if we give up C, what does that mean for the business in the future? I'll give you a really good example, and this is like a case study from the MBA program, but it's one that really stuck with me, right? In, In the corporate strategy class. There's a fast food company in the South called uh, called Pals, and uh, their corporate strategy is to uh, only offer. It's a fast food joint. They only offer like eight things on their menu. You get like a burger. You can get a hot dog. You can get like fries. You get a couple other things, right? In like 40 years of operating, 40, 45 years of operating, they've added one new thing to the menu. And part of their part of their strategy is to train their staff so well on those eight items that they come out not only perfect every time, but consistent. So every time Lewis or I, you or I go to go to Pals, for example, we know that hamburger is gonna taste and look and feel and and be the exact same as it was last time we were there. And so they've got a really dialed in process for training their staff, and then also executing on those eight fast food products. Yeah. And they've deliberately given up adding, say, tacos or milkshakes or ice cream or whatever it is that, you know, some executive has said, hey, I think we should add this to the menu. It's like, no, we're, we're making that trade-off. We're not going to put that in into our menu because we want to just be super dialed in on these eight products on these and our process and they've also got some you know pretty tight hiring procedure and then in addition to that their store managers are part owners of that store as a i think it's like a franchisee relationship um and they're required to work as like a like a like a burger flipper or you know like a hot dog griller or whatever for a certain number of years before they can move into like a management role and they've also got some really dialed in processes for, you know, human resources and, and their marketing's pretty dialed in. But the trade-off they have made to, you know, scale like McDonald's has, for example, is that they're they're super cash positive. They've got a their profit margin is like, you know, I think it's like in the in the in the low thirties, which is just insane, right? For a fast food company. And mm-hmm. You know, there's some McDonald's in the country that are operating on on a loss. So there are different business models, but that kind of helps illustrate what making a trade-off means, yeah. right? Like McDonald's yeah. will just add things to their menu because it helps their bot- their bottom line, their growth, right? They'll add more stores, they'll add more resources, whatever it is. But pals to, you know, um, you know, on the contrary, will will be very restrictive about what decisions they make. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we're talking about here at Port Pro, right? It's like, okay, what is the next uh, the next thing we should build and we were joking about it here. I keep pointing over here because he's over here, but uh, we've got the saying now Sar- at the Sarma's company. Sarma's right there. Sarma's right there. <laughs> is right here. But Sarma, we... say hi. <laughs> loud, loud. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got this saying now in the, in the in the company, and I think Mike coined it yesterday, but yeah. or maybe a couple of weeks ago. But it's it's Sarma says right, so it's yeah. kind of like the adage of the company now, right? So Sarma says we should build something. Will build it, but he's got good reason for building it. Will it help the company's vision and the mission? If the answer is yes, Sarma says build it. If the answer is no, Sarma says don't build it. Um, so that's really be- that's that's kind of what we've adopted as well. well <laughs> again, I'm very new, so I'm the new guy still. But what we're trying to help adopt uh, into the company's framework, yeah. right, in terms of a strategy perspective. And again, look, I'm not taking credit for this. I'm I'm just here to help. 
Michael and Tony and, and you and Ryan and Sarma and, and everybody that's been here before me. I mean, it's, seriously, this thing's already pretty dialed in. I'm just I'm just here to help at this point. So. Hey, man. The more the merrier. Exactly. And then based on that, it's it's quality over quantity, and you're here for a reason, you know? I appreciate that. So, I'm going to take that as a compliment, too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, AB5. What do you know about AB5? Go- oh, man. You- <laughs> Teaching surprise. I know. <laughs> You're blindside there. Um, I'll start with this. I am not going to pretend to know uh, one iota um, uh, about AB5, at least when you compare me to you know Matt, who you had in the other day. Uh, or some of the HTA folks, or you know the CTA folks, or you know some of the some of the the, the the men and women I've been fortunate enough to work alongside of the last you know half decade, right through GeoStamp and now at Portbro, right? Yeah. Um, I my take on it is is pretty simple. Uh, it's here to stay. The law is on the books. Um, trucking companies, owner operators. Uh, need to work collaboratively, right? That's the, the messaging I'm going to keep hammering on. Mm-hmm. Need to work collaboratively to figure out what the next step is going to be. You know, Mike gave his presentation at HTA uh, earlier this week, and he talked about the handful of methods uh, that could be a next step, right? You got the two-check method. You've got, you know, trucking companies evolving into brokers. You've got, um, you know, status quo, which is, you know, as Matt said, that's a real uh, gut check. That's some intestinal fortitude if these trucking companies yeah. aren't going to, just are going to keep operating as normal. Uh, so it's, it's here to stay. And once people understand that, and I think they do, right? Again, I'm not, I'm not pretending to uh, call anybody out or, or say I know more than, than somebody else. It's, it's, I'm just the software guy, right? Um, what there does need to be, though, is, uh, is, is products, software products, and business practices behind them. So it's not just the software that's going to help. But software and business practices that uh, need to be deployed into the market that can help these guys make that that necessary change, right? So status quo is not the answer, right? We're, that's Everybody's like pretty clear on that. Like even Matt warning his members at HTA, like if you guys stick status quo, that you're in deep trouble, right? Um, so that's, that's not the answer. Uh, the two-check method, seems like there's going to be some gray area with that. There may be some... Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam's coming to play. Exactly mm-hmm. right. Um, so the, the the solution is, okay, what can we build to stay in business? What can we tap into? What can we integrate with that's going to help me as an owner-operator maintain as much uh, latitude and um, individualism as possible? And as a trucking company, I'm thinking, how can I serve and retain these drivers? And I... Everything that I've seen, right? And I don't know everything, but from what I've seen in terms of software in the industry today, those tools don't exist. Uh, and so part of what we're doing at Port Pro now, and I'm, I know I keep plugging Port Pro for your viewers, but I work I here, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of hard uh, hard not to. But um, that's, pro- that's part of what we're talking about in our corporate strategy sessions now, right? What can we do uh, to help this 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 dialogue what can we do that's collaborative mm-hmm. uh, there's my buzzword again there what can we do that's collaborative and uh, meaningful tangible that will eventually evolve into products if if necessary right it may not be necessary but if necessary that will serve these guys in a meaningful way and, and enable them to continue to run their businesses as, as they're used to yeah uh, it's hard 
it's hard in my opinion because you don't know what to build exactly because yes. let's just say it's a let's say it's um natural event like you don't know if it's going to be a hurricane or you know a storm yeah Wait, it's the same shit but <laughs> what i'm trying to think is like like noah's ark you know you knew what was coming so you, oh, you may have built that or you build a bomb shelter or you build a, a, a raft or you build a, a roof so how can you build something before knowing how it will be enforced it'll be kind of like oh it's man, hard i built it for this but they're enforcing it like that yeah and all that it was for nothing so it is hard. You're right. That's actually a really good point. Um, you know, you, you want to be ahead of it, but how can you be ahead of it if you really don't know, A, what the repercussions are going to be, but B, to, to your point again, how it's going to be enforced. And uh, that's part of, you know, the HTA's issue with uh, with um, uh, the state of California. You know, they say, okay, you've had years to kind of evolve and you knew this was coming. It's like, mm. you know, kind of not really, right? No, because they know. knew it was on pause. So exactly. How, how are we supposed to prepare on something that's paused? Exactly. Like, and who knows, if the Supreme Court did end up hearing the case, you know, who knows how the law would have changed mm-hmm. or, or if it would have even been implemented. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you nailed it. It's hard to plan for something that's not in effect another horrible analogy like my weather channel shit from a few <laughs> minutes ago it's like you, you take maybe a, a, a marital status yeah if the couple's taking a break you don't proceed and take and go file for a divorce during the break right uh, oh, horrible horrible i'm following you I'm you know following what i mean you. like why would you yeah. do that until you know for sure what will happen yeah so basically the time they've had to prepare i think is like once the injunction was like no longer gonna be a thing right right yeah once like oh man so it's not (laughs) out the window okay i guess now yeah you had like three days to prepare right yeah yeah three to seven yeah whatever it was even to get set up it takes longer than that oh yeah a freaking insurance quote could take up to two weeks yeah oh filing with the state of california to start an llc (laughs) takes it's like a multi-week process as well it's hard yeah some food for thought for you here uh, just came to mind, and th- and this is really what Mike was trying to hammer uh, hammer on in his uh, in his presentation. I even hesitate to call it a presentation in his uh, his moderated debate <laughs> at the HTA meeting the other night. Um, you know, when when we're pitching uh, some ideas, uh, you know, we want to get as a company, right, as Porpro, we want to get ideas back. So again, that we can kind of work on this thing, this problem together. And again, as I said earlier, it, it may not be software alone that solves the problem, right? There's business practices, there's methodologies that need to either need, they need to be developed or changed or differentiated in some way that, that kind of, uh, you know, help these guys stay in, stay in business, right? Trucking companies and owner operators so that there's no legal friction. Software certainly is where we think the solution is, but, um, you know, to your point, how do you know how do you know what to build if you don't know you don't know what you don't know yet i have a question um yeah if we're here to help why do you think it was so quiet in there that day like when it was time to give suggestions or like speak out i think um my my take on it is that people are are nervous Mm. uh it's part of it is is being nervous um in a public forum Mm. Uh, the other part of it is I think some of these guys have made adjustments already. 
like I know of a handful of trucking companies that have that have moved to an employee model. Yeah. And they 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 did it a couple years ago, right? Um, and I know some some guys that uh, you know really trust the relationship they have with their owner operators, and that's a good thing. I think that that can be meaningful. Uh, or they're using the two check method, but to be perfectly honest with you, I I do think, um, and this is not to be harsh, but I I do think some folks are woefully underprepared. Um, and, uh, you know, this, the state of California and, and EDD, um, yeah, EDD, they're, they're going to bring the hammer down hard. And I think it's, it's going to be kind of like 2013, 2014, uh, you know, all over again. Again, I wasn't in the industry then, but I just remember the horror stories, like, you know, with all the ELD and the tracking issues that, that came about then and the misclassification issues, some of them rightfully so, um, uh, you know, I think that there's going to be a, a, some sort of similar fallout uh, now, based on what I've heard. <laughs> you know, and Matt, to his credit, you know, he's doing his best. He's like, "Look, guys, you got to make some adjustments." You know, it's you, you got to do something. You got to do, do something. Yeah, exactly. Does Does Matt even sleep, man? He's on every network. He's doing oh, all these. I know. Like, trying to tell the world, you know. But I tell you what, HTA does really well. They hire their freaking CEOs really well because yeah. because Weston before him again. Weston's a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Matt both just. They they pound pavement, man. They do a amazing job of just getting in front of people, yeah. saying the right things. They're both insanely articulate, well spoken, different styles for sure. Uh, but both of those guys, I tell you, HTA has done a great job hiring. I'll tell you that much for free. Yeah, yeah. I like both those guys a lot. <laughs> Carb. Uh, does that ring a bell yeah oh sure i can talk a little bit about that and and again most of um you know most of my thoughts on this are just going to be relayed from what i've heard from matt and weston right just in in my business and personal relationship with those guys but Mm -hmm. um uh from what i heard from matt it's going to pull a couple thousand or more trucks off the road uh just because of the, the clean truck compliance right um, so there's there's some non-compliant dirty air trucks and and Matt again he could give you all the the exact statistics behind it whether it be 2017 the truck type you know all that stuff is a little foreign to me but mm-hmm. um, the short of it is they're gonna pull several thousand trucks off the road so you combine that with what's going on with AB5 um, and the record volumes coming into the port it's like whoa <laughs> you know there's a ton of cargo coming in and they're already by some measures not enough trucks to pull it all out of california ports and now you're going to pull in a very short period of time you know you're going to pull all these trucks off the road and and some owner operators are you know they're going to leave the industry right because either they don't want to buy a new truck they don't want to invest in a four hundred thousand dollar electric truck or you know a hydrogen fuel cell truck or whatever it is um and and because of ab5 they're going to get pushed out as well so that from 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 an relative Again, I'm not a public policy expert, but from a relative outsider's perspective, like that's pretty scary, um, you know, for for the supply chain as a whole. But at the same time, um, you know, that's an opportunity for uh, you know transformative startups to to make a meaningful difference, like Port Pro, but also like you know, of course, where I came from, GeoStamp and, and others. Like mm-hmm. it, it is an opportunity because companies are going to be forced. It's not going to be an option. They're going to be forced to derive efficiency. They're going to be forced to find ways to increase their capacity and their throughput that aren't going to be achievable in the way they're doing business today. So again, I'll go back to it. What does that mean? Well, that means an evolution in business practices, but 
contrary to my answer on one of your last questions, this is more specific to software. You do need better tools. You mm. do need, um, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, Dre OS, TMS, that's going to enable your dispatchers and your customer service reps to work faster. You are going to need to set up, we are going to need to set up relationships uh, that are going to, you know, integrate uh, with with other solutions so that we can, uh, you know, bilaterally share information. You know, that that's all going to be really critical. So it's an opportunity for us as, as Port Pro, scary for the industry, mm-hmm. opportunity for others as well, scary for the industry, but it is going to force these guys, these trucking companies and everybody else in the industry to adopt new ways of doing business because there's going to be trucks pulled off the road, because there's going to be owner operators that are just going to be mm-hmm. you know, pushed out of the industry because they don't want to become an employee driver, right? They're, you guys are hardworking. I say you guys, I know you're not a driver anymore, but you know, really hardworking people. You guys could do, you know, any other hardworking job and, and, you know, in the entrepreneurial spirit of things, you know, find your way in the world. There's, there's no doubt about that. So the short answer is scary, uh, opportunity, Mm -hmm. uh, but there, there are ways out. And as long as we're again, working collaboratively, I think that's the 18th time I've hit that word today. As long as you want me to add that home, I'm going to add it on collaborative (laughs) every time you say it. I need like a... Keep it like a scoreboard. Yeah, 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 exactly right. A scoreboard. I was going to say a chalkboard. I can keep track of how many times I've said it. But yeah, you know, like you can't build software in a vacuum. You can't, right? You have to, you you have to have, you know, really talented guys that know what they're doing, like Sarma and the team that Mm -hmm. we've, we've got. Uh, but you also have to, uh, you know, you have to listen to your customers and you have to listen to people that aren't your customers, right? Even folks that aren't remotely potential customers yeah you know working with them listening to what they have to say uh you know hearing their take on what's going on in the industry that all matters that all has to be incorporated into uh you know product development it's really important and that's why like a chief product officer is 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 so important right we've got a lot of great product people here kevin ryan you know jerry all those guys are really dialed in they know they know product really well jerry 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 Jerry. Um, and, uh, you know, those guys, you know, they, they lean hard on our customers, but like, Hey, what do you think about this? Okay. What about this idea? And that's one of the great parts of working in the industry. What, what kind of has kept me attracted to it and kept me in it, um, was I've thought about other things, but ultimately keep coming back to this is, you know, the customers are fun, right? Like they're, they'll be, they're honest with you. There's no BS, right? Like it's, yeah. It's just that it's those kinds of people that work in supply chain and logistics, and that's part of what makes it fun. We work with them collaboratively. Collab, exactly right. That's damn right. Yeah. What are we at? Eighteen, nineteen now. Times we've said that. <laughs> About how many times have we said Sarma though? I don't know. Like seven. Twenty-five now, probably. He's just laughing at me. Let's see. <laughs> Partnerships help the industry. Mm, yeah. What comes to mind with that? It's a good question. Um, you know, again, for your audience and for your listeners, this is this maybe uh, this is going to sound like a pretty generic answer, but that's just because I'm, you know, I'm just kind of trying to keep you know some stuff under 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 the covers until we deploy it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't give away the secret sauce, but um, partnerships are really important. That's that's part of why I, I was brought over here. Um, is to, to kind of help maintain and, and establish new partnerships, right? Pitch ideas with, uh, you know, other software providers um, and, and not software providers in the industry to, to talk about what we can work on together, what yeah. makes sense, what yeah. what products can we, uh, you know, tie in uh, with one another 
what services can we provide to our mutual customers? What is the value add uh, to the to the customer at the end of the day? And and how can we kind of work together? Because as I mentioned earlier, there's so much siloed information in the industry. There's no nobody's going to be able to do it all ever. It's it's just not possible, right? You you can't be you can't be a drayage TMS, an over the road TMS, a terminal operating system, a warehouse management system, a track and trace tool, a vessel uh, visibility tool, a container tracking tool, a data aggregator, and a data analytics company all in one. You just can't, right? Especially not as a software startup. You can buy up all those companies, you know, kind of merge them together, but, you know, that's that's kind of a, that's a, that's a separate challenge. Uh, so partnerships are really important because again, you can't be all of those things. You have to work with other folks in the industry to provide a value add and, and help the industry evolve, right? That's really like why, that's really why I, another part of why I wanted to come over here. Like mm-hmm. the philosophy of the company is to be helpful to people. It's to help the industry, to help evolve the industry, transform yeah. the industry. It's not, you know, just siloed in, building a business and making money. There's a million ways to do that. Uh, but the vision and, and the transformative nature of, of what we're trying to do here leans heavily on partnerships. And uh, and that's why it's so critical. So it, it's very important for people to adapt and embrace the technology? Oh, yeah. Or oh, yeah. For sure. You don't think it works the opposite, that if they just don't participate, then then tech doesn't work? Or will it be the other way around if if... You know what I mean? That's a that's a good question. Um, like, can they stall it at all if for not just simply not jumping on board, <laughs> resisting? You know. In my personal humble opinion, may not be right, but in my personal opinion, there's no way they're just self destruct. They're then? just self destruct. They'll go out of business. The digital age is it's 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 here. It's been here for twenty years, right? Like. Mm. Think about, like, I remember my freshman year of college, 2010. Yeah. And I remember my roommate had, like, I can't even remember what generation iPhone it was. But it was so tiny and kind of cruddy and had the button on the bottom and the battery didn't last at all. And he had the, like, real early version of of texting on there. And it, it just wasn't, like, what it is today. This is like a, this is like a four-year-old phone. And it is six years removed from or what is that eight years removed from 2010 when i bought it and it's light years ahead of what that was and every year the 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 hardware keeps getting better and better but the software like if you look at the trajectory of what the hardware has done they've gone from here to here the software across all industries across all products has gone from here to like through this roof hey man you like living on the edge of that phone doesn't have a protective case I, i'm a no case guy man no case guy i've never had a case on any phone you don't i trust feel, my hands you don't feel it slips easier that way so and i i'd be lying if i said i've never dropped this phone yeah but i'd be telling an even bigger lie if i said i've never cracked a phone because i didn't have a case on it i have mm-hmm. done that twice but this is four years old no screen three or four years old no screen replacement no case no nothing I, yeah Sleek, man. It wasn't designed to be used with a case. I'm on, like, number five. Are you? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there were some other reasons how I ended up with no phone. <laughs> I won't discuss on here. It's okay. That's for off the camera. Um, so, anyways, the long story short is I, 
all companies across all industries they have to embrace the digital age they have to um you know they're the companies the trucking companies that we run into that are you know still running on excel spreadsheets or google sheets and you know you know text messaging and whatsapp like they're still using technology right they've they've gone from you know the paper books to you know something on the computer yeah um and this is just the next step in their revolution is adopting dre os right yeah uh but again you know countries like like india and, and nepal uh, you know, Malaysia now and, and, and certain parts of, uh, you know, the Eastern Bloc of Europe, uh, you know, they they have evolved their entire economies because uh, they've they've adopted, you know, a, a digital transformation, right? They've, they've trained their, their population how to be uh, software engineers and, and quality assurance people and architects and what have you. And, and uh, you know, they've really embraced modernity in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, in my opinion, there's no escape in the you know, the evolution of technology, it, it will come. And it, it really is as easy as just surfing the wave, right? You just, yeah. it's technology so easy to use now. It's not like it was 30 years ago. Like anybody can pick up an yeah. iPhone now. Kids are picking up iPhones and they're using them, right? You just pop open apps, the user experience and the user interface is just so easy to use. It's, yeah, there's no way anybody gets around it. You can't skirt it. It's just, that's just life now. <laughs> I just can't understand, though, why sometimes there's some resistance when in reality we're trying to, to help drivers and owner-operators yeah. evolve with the industry so they don't get left behind and someone else dictates yeah. how they should do things. I've, so, I've got some thoughts on, on that as it relates you know. to the industry specifically um, and, and also specific to our, our products, right, uh, like a like a drayage TMS. Actually, I'll start with that. So, um, you know, in the... A TMS is the operating software. It underpins the entire business operations of a trucking company. They run their entire business on it. So it's it can be scary for them to move over to something that's kind of new and fresh. Mm, Like their whole staff has used this solution, whatever it may be, for 10, 15, 20 years in some cases. They have their own, uh, you know, their own... Flow. Flow their own adaptations. Good word. I'll use flow. Their own flow. Their own adaptations. Their own processes. And and change is always hard for. It's human nature to resist change. And so you're not only doing something that's scary by moving these people from something they're used to. You're you're also doing. You're, it's a massive change. Yeah. And there's risk, right? There is. We don't see it as a risk because like it's like our software is so easy to use. You're going to be up and running in a day. It's going to be way better for you. You're going to increase your capacity and your throughput and your, your operations. You're going to make more money. But they don't see that on the front end. It's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, huge change. I got to, you know, this 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 risk, you know, this this other solution underpins my whole business. If something goes wrong, that's, you know, it's a ton of money that I'm going to lose. So I we get that. And as a company, we're very sensitive to that. And that's why we have such a strong transition onboarding and customer success team, right? We we understand that, and we really try to, you know, massage that that process a lot. Now, as far as the industry as a as a whole is concerned, is kind of the, the first part of your question here. Um, I just think it's kind of a. There's not a lot of younger people like you or I that are that are in the industry that are like running trucking companies like our generation. I think you're still a millennial, right? You're 34. Yeah, 35. 35. Still millennial. That's millennial. So I'm 30, right? So we're, we're millennials, right? Like our generation is just now coming into the like senior management level of these trucking companies. And mm. I think time is actually on the side of companies that are 
you know, modern software companies like Port Pro and others. There's others out there, right? So this conversation relates to marine terminals, brokers, you know, rail yards, whomever, right? Even in government agencies. Our generation is just starting to get to the decision-making stage where they're going to look at old software and they're going to be like, what the hell is this? Like, you can't use this. And I think the the industry will evolve as the as the millennials can kind of move into the the senior management role. Um, I just think it's a product of a you know a, an an older generation that you know they've made a lot of money. They've been very successful, uh, you know, doing the way doing things the way they've done them, and and trucking and supply chain and logistics typically is a slower slow to evolve industry. So they've okay. been able to kind of get away okay. with that, right? Okay. Yeah. So whatever's been dominant that. Like you said, millennials, and yeah. as they phase out, then the new, yeah. it's just the cycle of life. Then. The cycle, just, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, right. and again, we're, we're sensitive to change. Change is hard for people. It is. It's human nature to resist it. Whether it be a move, whether it be starting a family, whether it be you know going back to school, starting a new career, like that. those are all typically very challenging things for, for human beings. Uh, and I think it's the same way for a business that's adopting some new technology that's going to completely upend the way they're doing things. Mm-hmm. Again, that's why we're super, 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 super sensitive to that. So how did you know like what you were good at and you ended up doing <laughs> this? So I don't know how, if how I figured that your, out. How did you find it? I don't think I figured that out yet. Mm. I appreciate that though. Mm. I'm still working on it. Um, I don't know. I, I was lucky. I had, I had good parents. They gave me a lot of freedom. Uh, I learned some relatively hard lessons early on in life. Uh, a lot of, you know, like anybody else, you know, some challenges that you have to overcome. You got to figure out on your own. Uh, you know, I lost my dad about seven years ago or early on. And I would call that early on in my life. And um, Sorry he, to hear that. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, it was a long time coming, but he was a you know really important role model for me and kind of working through that, uh, you know, gave me the chance to kind of grow up a little bit. Even like, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm only good at a handful of things, right? I think talking to people is one of them. Maybe public yeah. speaking is another. <laughs> public speaking may be another. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, figuring out ways to work together. I'm not going to say collaborative. Ways to work together. I think You said it by saying you would not say collaborative. Damn, I'm trying to avoid And now it, you made me say it. And now I made you say it. So now we're yeah. at 23 or whatever it is. So, um, Sarma, Sarma, Sarma. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, the, I hate to use the word opportunity, but, you know, my, my dad was a well-known guy in the, the sailing world. So we had, like, hundreds of people come to his, his service, like hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. And, you know, we, we threw his ashes overboard, uh, you know, off the coast of Orange County. And um, it was special, but, I you know, I had, to, I had to go up and public speak in front of those people. And with Geostamp, I was constantly, like, you know, when I was, especially when I was employee one and, you know, it was before we were really in a growth stage. You know, I was just, hey, Walker, you got to go talk to the terminals. Hey, you got to go present at HTA. Hey, you got to go fly to, you know, Chicago and, and talk to, uh, you know, the Illinois Trucking Association. You got to present. You know, you got to talk to all these people. And I don't think I was good at that uh, until I went through that. So the combination of having to grow up and mature with, you know, through, you know, losing my dad, but um, also really having to, like, be the professional face of a startup uh, Geostamp. I think those two things really kind of enabled me to, you know, develop the the very few skills I have. in it. The, the, look, I'm <laughs> I'm no software engineer. I'm I'm no CTO. I'm you know I'm not even a product guy. I just you know I I fit in the in between space as well. I think that's that's probably the the best answer. 
Did it ever hit you like, oh, this is me? Like, okay, embrace it. Not yet. I don't think so. No. I, I just kind of wake up every day and try and figure it out. I read a lot. Um, I I read a ton, so I think I'm looking for something maybe that that'll uh, maybe switch the light bulb on. I, I'm still not sure. I, maybe I'll never figure it out. I kind of like not figuring it out. I. Mm. I, uh, I, not to talk about myself, I, I actually hate doing that, but I, I, I received a compliment from a really good friend of mine. This is like 10 years ago. Um, what, I, what did Weston tell you? Yeah. <laughs> Weston does pitch me some compliments, <laughs> but uh, no, this is, uh, this is before I knew Weston. He's a like, college friend of mine. Um, and I think he meant it as, as kind of like a, like a jab. Like, yeah, was, I don't know, we were out, I don't know having a couple beers at the bar or something who knows but there's some truth to the jabs there's some truth to the jabs so he said you know walker he's like you don't really fit in anywhere but you kind of fit in everywhere and i took that um, as <laughs> i know exactly right I, I took that as like i don't have an exact defined persona right but i can get along with everybody so that i can kind of fit in I can kind of fit in everywhere. Walker Banks, MC Banks. <laughs> right? I love it. Anyways, I hate talking about myself, so that's, you know. Talk about yourself some more. That's the gist of it. Oh, uh, where do we begin? Because the part of what we do here on the podcast is the drivers come on and we get to hear about their personal stuff. Too, oh, really? What they okay. to share, get to know more oh, about it. All right. Them. I don't feel so bad That way we it. don't put, like just all like titles like this, yeah you know yeah because people see like the trucker just the trucker like yeah we show that they're hustlers they got families they got goals they got ambitions yeah. and all that yeah so like share a little more about yourself okay yeah um, that book favorite book oh that's a tough question My, the favorite one i've read recently is a is a business book called uh zero to one it's a peter Thiel book and he was one of the co-founders of um uh uh paypal. paypal thank you yeah um, thank you sarma yeah yeah and he's he's been an angel investor um in a lot of uh elon's companies including tesla and i think he was an early angel investor in uber and anyways the guy's r really tremendously successful he worked for the trump administration for a little while i think as like a senior economic advisor i i think that ended in um kind of crashed and burned with that but I digress. He's a really smart guy. And the book is, it's not that long. Um, and it's all about how to take a company from zero to one. It's all about startups. He talks about sales and marketing, how to raise money, what the right things are to say to potential investors, uh, you know, how, what it takes to get a company from, again, zero to one, all the hard work. And a lot of it is some really cool stories about his early days as a, as a, as a founder. And he, PayPal is what made him famous, but uh, he also helped start a company called Palantir, which is basically like a giant data analytics company uh, hmm. for for um, uh, the Department of Defense. I think is their their biggest customer. But anyways, he's built several of these these companies, taken them public or or sold them, and I found his uh, his insight you know really kind of kind of cool. Um, anyways, that's that's my favorite book I've read recently. My favorite series of all time is uh, the Aubrey Maturin series. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it depends on your, depending on your count, it's a 20 or 21 series, book series. Uh, the author, uh, Patrick O'Brien, actually died while writing the 21st book. 
like mid sentence he died like the book has like a hundred like 90 some odd pages in it maybe over 100 pages in it and literally like mid sentence book 21 is done and they printed it like that and just they did ended it there yeah they just call it 21 because the book wasn't named either but oh wow so have you ever seen the movie master and commander no this is russell crowe and uh, paul bettany no so that movie is an amalgamation of the first 20 books mm. And basically, the the book is a. It takes place in the, the early 1800s. So the the in 1802 is when the the first book starts, and then you go all the way through like 1821, and you you basically the the books are are, are about friendship more or less. But there's this naval captain, uh, Captain Jack Aubrey, and you follow his career from when he's a lieutenant all the way up to you know when he when he makes admiral and his best friend is this spy slash surgeon uh he's he's like he speaks like seven languages it's that's uh steven maturin and uh he recruits him to come be a a, a surgeon on the ship um and they become really good friends they're into music together and the books are you know full of of action like ship battles like cannonball fights and and sword fights and musket fights and uh, there's duels and you know they fall in love and they you know they they get they get sent to all these cool places all over the world so they go to the Galapagos they go to Brazil they go to India they go to Australia and um, you know 20 books later it's these guys are like basically brothers and they have all these life or death situations but mm. um, the book taught me a lot about those books books plural taught me a lot about what it means to be uh, you know a good quality friend and given my sailing background mm. uh, which I I grew up sailing. Um, I, I did it kind of on a semi-professional level for a couple of years on, on the World Match Race Tour. Uh, you know, there was a good connection there, too. So it's got sailing in it. It's got some history in it, which I love history. And it's got, uh, you know, it's a, it's you know, teaches you a lot about friendship. So from or they were those they. books fictional or they were? That's actually a good question. So they're 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 loosely based on actual history. There was, I can't remember the guy's real name, but the Captain Jack Aubrey, one main character, yeah. is based on like a, is loosely based on like a real life captain in the British Royal Navy in the early 1800s. But they add a little twist to it. Yeah. After like book six, the history runs out and he, uh, he basically takes full liberty. So at some point it does become, you know, entirely fiction after like, I think it's book six or seven. I can't remember. It's been a few hmm. years since I finished them. It becomes entirely fiction, yeah. but there is some actual real history in it, like real battles, yeah. things like that, and it's, it's cool. So you can learn something from fictional books, because at at that point you're being uh, <laughs> influenced by someone else's imagination to a degree, and it's not really like that zero to one where it's experience, and then it if it makes sense, I guess you you run with it or what? Yeah, that's you know my my philosophy is. Um, personal philosophy is to kind of always be learning like, i think that's why i've gone back to school so many times it's exhausting to talk about uh school i'm so glad to be finished the third time oh my god but you still got life to go through that's I know. another school I, yeah i gotta start f- focusing on life and not so much on schoolwork. but um and I've, I've got some i've got if i have any of my friends that are going to see this podcast i'm sure they will some of them you know Hi. <laughs> Some of them work in, in finance in New York City or in, in Chicago. And, um, you know, another one lives up in, in Seattle. It's some of my best friends in the world. Um, a couple of them live overseas. But, uh, uh, you know, they're they're all, like, such smart professionals. And all they read is, like, business books. 
so I was at a bachelor party like a couple weeks ago with all of them and a couple months ago now actually and uh, we were talking about like all the books that we read and all the business podcasts that we read and um, you know, I was telling them about those, the, the Aubrey Maturin series and they're like, Oh, how do you have time to like fit in like fic- books about fiction? And I'm like, sometimes you got to enjoy life a little bit. Like you can't always be reading books like zero to one or, mm. you know, the rich dad, poor dad's a famous one or, you know, books about investing or how to, you know, business books. You can't always be reading that. Um, you know, I, I love the Aubrey Maturin series because it, it taught me something that's a little more intangible, how to be a good friend. Right. What's the difference with that one? Also, uh, how to win friends and influence people. That is another one of my favorite books. Yeah. That book is excellent. I recommend that book. There's two books I recommend to everybody. Uh, one of them is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. The other one is Never Split the Difference. Um, it sounds like you know how to win friends and influence people. Oh, do I? <laughs> yeah. Probably. But I know how to lose them too. Oh, don't we all? <laughs> hey, believe you me, everybody makes mistakes, but... Um, I gotta anyways, write that one down. The one you said. What's the last one you said? Never split the difference. There you go. So that I was, I was, I can't remember the author's name. It's, it's gonna bug me. It may, it'll, maybe it'll, it'll come to me by the end of the podcast. But Google, Google, Google will take care of that. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, anyways, the guy, the author was the FBI's uh, uh, senior most uh, international hostage negotiator. He was the head of hostage negotiation at the FBI. Um, and the book is in part about his story, but the last, I want to say 10 chapters are all dedicated on how to be a better negotiator. And he walks you through all these scenarios and walks you through the different signs to look for. Basically in his eyes, everything in life is a negotiation. And it is, I agree with that. Uh, but he, Oh, I think I heard of that guy. It's, he runs a company called the Black Swan Group. Okay. Shout out Black Swan Group. And that book has transformed. Formed. That, that guy has transformed the way I think about business, the way I think about buying cars, the way I think about having a conversation with my fiance, the way I'm going to have conversations with my kids, with colleagues, with, with anyone, uh, about anything for that matter. And his whole philosophy is negotiating doesn't have to be like a tit for tat. It doesn't always have to be you know cut down to brass tacks. Yeah, it could be me and you walking down the street and, exactly. and you cross the street because you want to just avoid me or I do something like that. Yeah. I think I would cross the street. That's a negotiation, well. right? Like, that's a negotiation itself? It is. It is. Yeah, that's actually, that's a good example. Everything in life is. And that that book I love, I recommend that one to everybody. As far as like business books go and books on negotiation go and, and things like that. Yeah, zero to one and, and never split the difference. And how to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie. That, that book is timeless. I think it was, when did he write that? The 50s? Something I don't like know. That? It's old, but. Uh, also, the Think and Grow Rich one, which I've never read through completely. I haven't read that one either, but yeah. I've heard a lot of people recommend that to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love reading. I do. I read uh, I'm about, I think I listen to about one audiobook a week, and I'm about a book every week and a half now. Okay. I read, uh, since my dream was to be a, you know, a naval officer when I was a kid, I read a lot about, um, uh, you know, I read a lot about those guys. So like, uh, you know, No Easy Day it was written by one of the SEALs that was on the Osama Bin Laden mission. I love that book. Uh, really cool story. There's um, there's another one by uh, um, uh, Admiral McRaven, who I think he's now chancellor. I think he, he might have retired, but I think he's still chancellor of the University of Texas system. David Goggins is one of my favorite people. Oh, I love him. He is, that book is great. Yeah, Can't Hurt Me, yeah. another fabulous book. And have, have you... 
so speaking of podcasts, have you listened to his podcast with Joe Rogan? Uh, no, I have not. But the, the way he did, he, he did his book, he did it like a podcast style yeah. on the, the audible. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was great. That guy is, I mean, people give him shit, but he doesn't take it. I, I mean, and he, he's just himself. Like he's the most raw, I think, public figure I can think of. He's just, he is who yeah. he is. He doesn't take any BS. And that book yeah. was really, like, just to hear his story, you're like, oh my God, like if he can do that, like. It just, you know, it's like, well, what can I do? You know, I don't want to leave any stone left unturned like he did. <laughs> well, it's that feeling that you know that you got to do something. And then even <laughs> though you hear people like him talk about it, it's like you don't take action sometimes. And it's like, ah. So I think, the like, for me, the hardest part is just starting, I guess. And then once you start. That you is the I mean? hardest part. Yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Today is, you know, today is someday. So you when know? you so when okay. you started the podcast. Yeah. So how, what? I'm sure you thought about it a long time before you started it. What was the what was the deciding moment that that you said, "All right, no more, no more talk. Today's the day. I'm starting it." Well, for no more, no more license. I lost my license, and then I was like, mm. "I gotta do something fast." And then that's what I did. I did that, and then three episodes in, then Mike reached out and they, they offered to sponsor it. Three episodes in, really. Yeah, that was uh, doing it in the garage. Oh my gosh, I don't think I realized that. I did my first one with myself, of course, to because I didn't have a guest. So yeah, in the garage. Yeah, that one kind of breaks it down about everything like I've been through and at the ports and my life and the whole sobriety thing and so yeah. And then fast forward, we're here, uh, sixty episodes, sixty one. Yeah, and it takes a lot of practice because. The whole public speaking thing so many years trucking i'm speaking for myself so many years trucking and it's like i kind of enjoyed my alone time you know yeah. and then so i've been working on my people skills you could say or whatever so public speaking is not the best you know so I think well it helps that you mentioned your experience when you kind of were not thrown at it but it kind of like you had to just jump in i had to just do it yeah it's a, I think it's a skill. I think it yeah. can be learned. I think it you can think be taught. So? Yeah. yeah, I do. I do. I think um, I think some people are always going to be like you. You watch like um, you know, you watch like a, a Barack Obama or a you know, a, a Bill Clinton, um, a uh, uh, even like a Tulsi a Tulsi Gabbard, who's that? She was the, the Democratic rep from Hawaii. Hmm. Um, you know, I've been. I've 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 read Tulsi doesn't have a biography yet, but I've read their biographies, Bill and Obama's, and I've I've watched a lot of their I've actually watched them public speak to try and help my own public speaking skills. Like when those guys walk into a room, you know they're ultra charismatic. There's always going to be people that just light up a room that everybody gravitates to, that just kind of control the, the the dynamism, the aura, if you will. Of a of a room, and they can do it on a scale of you know a hundred a room you know a stadium full of a hundred thousand people. How could you tell though if it's a real charisma or if it's a front? I think you can tell. Yeah, I think you can tell. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think you can tell. I think um I think it's instinct that that would enable you to kind of sniff that out, fish mm. fish it out, right? Like some people are just you know just kind of fake, right? You know, um, and and some people are really kind of charismatic and genuine. You know, you, you kind of get it. So, um, who am I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to 
step on any political <laughs> landmines here, but uh, you know, there's, 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 I'm, you can think of, ju- there's plenty that come to mind, right? Yeah, yeah. That are like, okay, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Tri- tripping over my own sentence here, but there's plenty of politicians that come to mind uh, that are public servants today, where you see them on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or in the Wall Street Journal, and you're like, oh, it's just, you know, that guy's oh, kind of fake, exactly. you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't like sp- the reason. I looked into, uh, you know, I read so much about Barack Obama and so much about Bill Clinton, uh, and, and Ronald Reagan is another one that were just like public speaking pros, like those guys. It it all, whether it was authentic or not, who really knows? But it, to the masses and to the people that know them and that wrote their biographies, it uh, their their charisma came off as very genuine, and their public speaking skills were enhanced by that kind of natural. Uh, swagger, if you will, that mm-hmm. natural uh, charismatic aura, uh, and that's why I read so much about them. So I, I do think it's a it's a learned skill. For just going back to our original discussion, yeah, totally. Maybe the crowd can also steer it in a way. Like if the crowd is feeling oh, yeah. you, you kind of open up more. If big time, if you feel resistance, it's kind of brief. Yeah, Who knows? yeah, yeah. You have to listen to your. You have to. You have to jive with the. Uh, the audience, you, you have to. If they're if they're giving you some negative feedback, you got to adjust. If it's positive, you know you got to keep going. That for for um, uh, when I was n- new to, you know, I fir- when I did like my first big HTA presentation for GeoStamp, right? You know, this was early on. I flew flew to Chicago to present to ITA or Texas at the at the Texas Trucking Association. I'd be so nervous about like what I'm going to say and what the presentation is going to look like. I would just like be so focused on the content. I would basically just like read through it, and I wouldn't look mm. up at the audience at all i yep. wouldn't see what the reactions were mm. and you know by the end of it it's like okay damn i got my message across but it's like i don't were they listening you know it's hard for me to tell there wasn't yeah. like an engagement yeah yeah it's hard it's, yeah. it's tough but it is again i do think it's a learned skill and even the best public speakers on planet earth yeah they have their bad days like yeah. stand-up comedy is a good example right like even the best stand-up comics are gonna try some joke that just Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) No one says shit. I know. You're like, oh, okay. I guess that joke didn't land. Did you ever like read some stuff and then you you forgot what the hell you talked about in mid-sense, like blacking out during the the discussion? (laughs) That's Uh, happened to me. I'm like, what the fuck did I say? (laughs) Like, I hope I did good. I don't know. I'm going to have to watch the replay and see if I lost my train of thought in the podcast. um, I don't think so. Uh, Maybe I I miss it. Who knows? Mm. I'm sure it's happened and I've just, you know. Just flies out of my head, and I miss it. Who knows? Yeah. Uh. Well, I'm, I'm out of stuff here. I don't know if there's anything you would like to add because. Um, did we? Did we? Did we cover an hour? We did oh, yeah. an hour and a half, I believe. Did we really? Dude, time flew. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really, I appreciate you having me on. This is the first podcast I've done, and I, uh, I'm just grateful. You're a cool guy. I like working with you. It's, uh, it's been fun so far. I'm, I'm excited for the, the journey we've got in front of us. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Next episode of the Contineros Podcast. Peace.